we've been talking about the names of Jesus. We've been talking about the times where he said, I am. And this week, we're going to talk about how Jesus said, I am the resurrection and the life. Well, this week is Halloween, so it seems fitting about talking about resurrection, but we're not talking about like zombies, right? That's called the undead. You don't want any part of that, right? But we're going to talk about someone coming back from the dead today. But Halloween is a tricky time for Christians because on one hand, there is Christian roots to the holiday. 1,200 years ago, the Christian church designated November 1st as a day to remember the faithful Christians that walked on before us, and it's known as All Saints Day. The night before was designated a holy evening or All Hallows' Eve. And that's where Christians would pray and fast before the feast that was coming the next morning. So there's Christian roots to this holiday known as uh, Halloween. But on the other hand, the church also at this time had a habit of taking pagan holidays and repurposing them into something that's more edifying and uplifting. So it seems the church purposely planned All Saints Day and All Hallows Eve to coincide with the Druid celebration of the dead. So many of the stranger traditions like pumpkin carving and wearing masks seem to have come from that earlier pagan celebration. But Halloween wasn't the only holiday that repurposed, uh, was repurposed into a Christian event. Christmas adopted some of the pagan traditions like wreaths, uh, lighting candles, gift giving during a holiday in December. Mistletoe was a plant that believed to ward off evil spirits. Even Christmas caroling or wassailing was originally drunk pagans that would go door to door and sing fertility and health to their neighbors. So if you're not looking for fertility, you might shoo away those uh, Christmas carolers this year. But even Easter, the holiest of all Christian holidays, seems to have borrowed its name from a pagan holiday. The word Easter is only used once in the Bible and only in one translation, the King James. And it says this, after the time of Easter. And scholars believe this word comes from the name of the god Istre, who had a holiday around the same time as Passover when Jesus was crucified and rose from the grave. So what does all this mean? Well, it simply means that culture has an influence on our traditions, and culture has an influence on our words. And the same is true of the church. If you go to a church in a different culture, like in Haiti or in Cuba, they're going to do things differently than how we do it here. That doesn't mean our way is better or right. It just means it's different. So that's why we hold tightly to the uh, things of God's word and the secondary things like style or the way our buildings work or how we meet. All those things are secondary. So what do we do with Halloween then? Well, Halloween is one of those things that reasonable and well-meaning people can disagree about. That's, did you know that you can do that? Like as Christians, we can have different opinions about these secondary things, right? There's one instance in the Bible where people in the early church disagreed about whether they could eat food that was offered to idols. And you might say, well, that, that's a good question. If someone says, you know, takes this uh, meat and bows before an idol and prays over it, what should I do with that? Well, Paul tells them first that idols aren't real, that they're just 
you know, a statue that has no power. Paul would also tell them that it doesn't change the meat at all. Um, and that, but also he went further and said that we should also, though, be loving to someone who might think that it would be a temptation for them, maybe somebody that was formerly in idolatry, and they might say, well, I shouldn't do this because it would be some type of temptation for them. And in that instance, it would be good for us to be loving and show grace. And maybe when that person came over our house to eat, we wouldn't partake in those types of things. So that's, this is a long answer. Like, what should Christians do with Halloween? Well, firstly, should you participate in a seance this week? Absolutely not. Please don't do that. Uh, because that, that might turn out bad. On the flip side... Should you hide in your basement, scared to death that the devil's going to knock on your door and ask for candy? No, don't do that either. Don't revere the devil. Don't give attention and don't give, uh, make him seem bigger than he is. Because God and Satan are not equals. That's not true. They aren't even in the same ballpark. Well then, all right, Pastor Phil, you're giving us a really long answer. Here's what I want to know. Should my child dress up like Woody from Toy Story and eat some candy? Maybe. It might be fine. I certainly won't judge you if you don't do that. And if you say, I can't do that, that's perfectly okay. I didn't grow up with Halloween. I'm not a big costume person. Uh, but Chloe here loves to take every opportunity to dress up in any type of costume that she can. And we look around our neighborhood and we see the opportunity for us to meet some neighbors and to be hospitable and to do some cool things for some kids that we might not otherwise get an opportunity to do. And my family says, okay, we can do that. And the same thing is true for trunk or treat that we're going to do today. Are we going to draw a pentagram out here in the parking lot and worship Satan? No, absolutely not. But is Pastor Josh going to dress up in a pumpkin costume for 500 kids that we might not otherwise have the opportunity to meet and show love to? Absolutely. I'd be disappointed if he didn't. And I don't know if he's wearing that pumpkin costume tonight, but I will be disappointed if he doesn't do that. This principle is called soul liberty and the priesthood of the believer, and it's part of what makes us Baptist. We don't have some organization somewhere defining every little thing for us to do. We have the Holy Spirit inside of us, and God can deal with you directly, and we can disagree with each other on some of these types of things and still be in sweet Christian fellowship because we agree about the important things, that Jesus died and rose again, and he saves us not by works but by faith. And you can be convicted to take a higher standard, and that's great. Don't get prideful. And I can be convicted to take a lower standard, and that's great. Don't look at the person with the higher standard and think you're better than them. That's where sin creeps in. But as long as we love Jesus and we treat each other with grace, then if we can disagree about these things, then neither one of us is sinning. So what does this all have to do with Jesus saying, I am the resurrection and the life? Nothing. Okay, now we're going to talk about that. That was all just a commercial just for a minute. But I've had those questions and I, you know, at times have thought different things and I've not known and it's good for us to talk about these things. 
But we do get to meet today one of Jesus' friends who could be referred to as the walking dead. He was completely dead, and then he was completely alive. None of this undead stuff. He was a man named Lazarus. And Lazarus had two sisters, Mary and Martha. And Jesus was very close with all of them. If you remember, Mary is the woman who anointed Jesus' feet and wiped them with her hair shortly before his crucifixion, preparing him for his death. The people around didn't really get what was going on, but both, them, uh, both of them knew that this was special. But Jesus gets the message that something is wrong with Mary and Martha, his friends. It's urgent. Their brother is sick. And it's not just a little sick, but like he is going to die sick. Wives, how many of your husbands act like that every time they get sick, right? <laughs> I'm going to die. This is real, though. We see it in John 11, chapter 3. It says, So the sisters sent to him, saying, Lord, he whom you love is ill. But when Jesus heard it, he said, the illness does not, This illness does not lead to death. It is for the glory of God, so that the Son of God may be glorified through it. Now, Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was ill, he stayed two days longer in the place where he was. We see here there's someone that is sick. It is life or death, but then Jesus waits for two days. Surely Jesus knows the urgency, right? He has to come now, and he has to do something now, or else Lazarus will die. But he waits. Jesus is calm, and he says, the end of this story is not death. The end of this story will be for the glory of God, and it will show you who I am. Mary's upset. Martha's upset. They wanted him to come. Now, the disciples, they were confused. People had just tried to kill Jesus right where Mary and Martha lived. And the disciples didn't want Jesus to go there. It was too dangerous. Well, during these two days, Lazarus dies. And a skeptic might say, well, Jesus, I guess you were wrong. I guess you make mistakes too. Maybe you should have put a little bit of more pep in your step so that you could have gotten there. But the story wasn't over. Jesus tells his disciples not to worry, that they will be fine, and, and also that Lazarus is just sleeping, which is true in a sense, because he would soon awake out of this dead sleep. Have you all ever had a sleep that kind of felt like that before? <laughs> like, where am I? Who am I? That's a good nap right there. Verse 13 says, now Jesus had spoken of his death, but they thought that he just meant he was taking a rest in sleep. The disciples weren't on the same page. But then Jesus told them plainly, Lazarus has died, and for your sake I'm glad that I was not there so that you may believe, but let us go to him. It's kind of a weird thing for Jesus to say that I'm glad my friend died, right? But Jesus knew it was going to happen. But he was still sad that Lazarus died, but the story wasn't over. And the people would see next what would happen, and it would bless them, and it would bless a whole group of people from all over that had come to comfort Mary and Martha. Verse 20, 
So when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went and met him. But Mary remained seated in the house. Martha said to Jesus, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But even now I know that whatever you ask from God, God will give it to you. Martha met Jesus before he even made it into the house. Mary grieved inside. She couldn't even bring herself to come out. And Martha says something that's bold. Jesus, if you were here, you could have saved him. I've dealt with people grieving with families over loss before, and no one's ever said something to me like that, right? Pastor Phil, if you were here, you could have done something. But they knew who Jesus was. He wasn't just a person that was close to them. They knew that he was special. But you could hear the grief in her voice. Why? Why did my brother die? Jesus, you could have done something. He doesn't rebuke her. He doesn't tell her, who are you to question me? He listens to her and he has compassion on her. And then Martha implies, even now, if you ask God, he will raise him from the dead. Think about the amount of faith here that she has. Even though I'm, sur I'm sure there were doubts swirling around her head, she pushes through with belief. Jesus replied, Lazarus will rise again. Mary is a little bit confused here. She thinks that they're having a theological discussion about what will happen in the next life. But Jesus means now. And here's where he says it. In John chapter 11, verse 25, Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. Whoever believes in me, though he died, yet shall he live. And everyone who lives, believes in me, shall never die. Do you believe this? She said to him. Yes, Lord, I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, who is coming into this world. Here we see Martha's faith in the midst of grief. We're going to see some evidence that although we are most likely not going to get raised from the dead, or we might most likely will never see that happen, we can believe it because we see here that Jesus is showing us an example of his power. And that we can have faith for the next life because he's already conquered death. Jesus not only has the power to raise at the end of time in the second coming. Jesus not only has the power to grant eternal life. He also has the power of death now. In just a few moments he will show them evidence of his power. And authority that he has over life and death. For whatever reason, Jesus likes to couple his power with our belief. And he asks Martha to believe. He doesn't need us, but he lets us play a part in his working in this world. His job is the doing. Our job is the believing. Martha believed. And for someone that's put their faith in Jesus Christ as our Savior, we will never face Death, because we go right from this life into eternal life. To be absent from our body is to be present with the Lord. And we can trust Jesus because we see here that he has that power. Martha called for Mary. And when Jesus saw Mary, he was 
overwhelmed with emotion. She was most likely, you could see the grief on her face, and he was moved with compassion, the Bible says in verse 32. Now when Mary came to where Jesus was and saw him, she fell at his feet, saying to him, Lord, if you would have been here, my brother would not have died. When Jesus saw her weeping, and the Jews that had come with her, these mourners also weeping, he was deeply moved in his spirit and greatly troubled. And he said, where have you laid him? And then they said to him, Lord, come and see. And Jesus wept. So the Jews said, see how he loved him. Jesus knew that Lazarus would raise from the dead. He's already told them it was going to happen. But he was not cold and he was not distant. He still wept, brokenhearted at these people who were in despair. Jesus loved Lazarus and it showed. He loved Martha. He loved Mary. Jesus went to the tomb, the big stone in front of it. He told them to move that stone away. The people protested. They wanted no part in defiling a grave. They didn't want to become ceremonially unclean or experience the decay of death with their senses. I caught a mouse the other day, <laughs> and apparently it had been dead for a while. It smelled disgusting. And I'm sure these people knew. They understood this whole process, and no doubt they understood that this decay would have set in after this four days, and even more so because of this hot climate. Jesus told them to move the stone away. Verse 39, Jesus said, take away the stone. Martha, the sister of the dead man, said to him, Lord, by this time there will be an odor, for he has been dead for four days. See here we see that classic example of someone saying, I believe, but I still have doubts, right? She just said that she believed, but when they wanted to roll the stone away, she's like, we don't want to do this. But Jesus said to her, did I not tell you that if you believed, you would see the glory of God? So they took away the stone. Jesus lifted up his eyes and said, Father, I thank you that you have heard me. I knew that you would always hear me, but I said this on account of the people standing around, that they may believe that you sent me. And when he said these things, he cried out with a loud voice, Lazarus, come out. And the man who died came out. His hands and feet bound with linen strips, and his face, face wrapped with a cloth. Jesus said to him, unbind him and let him go. The stone was removed. Jesus prayed to his father. He calls his friend by name. Lazarus, come out. Jesus put his whole reputation on this working. If this didn't work, they could have stoned him as a, a false prophet. Lazarus hopped out, bound like a mummy in grave clothes. Lazarus would have needed help to be released. Perhaps his voice still muffled. He said, hey, someone let me out of here. Here's a picture from uh, the 13th century by an artist named Ducio. I like it a lot. You see uh, Martha and Mary there with Jesus, and they're, they're watching him, what he's doing, and they're concerned. But my favorite guy is this guy in the orange. He knows that uh, decaying things smell bad, and uh, he's preparing himself for what's going to happen. 
But I can't imagine what it's like for Mary and Martha. The worst day ever. Turning into this huge celebration. Can you imagine the emotional whiplash that someone might have? They've never seen this before, and they only barely hoped that it was possible. It wasn't their faith that made it happen. They only barely had enough faith. But it was all real. And this dead brother that they had, cold and sunken, buried in a tomb for days with no food or no water, now stepping out, in the, out of the grave under his own power. For Mary and Martha... Their beloved brother was back from the dead. Oh, what joy must have flooded their souls. Now, Jesus could have shown up when Mary and Martha wanted him to. He could have helped heal a sick man. But how much more impact would it be to have a crowd of people seeing a dead man raised to life? So that we might have faith and comfort when our time comes. To know that Jesus has the power over death. The next verse after seeing this miracle, it says that many believed on Jesus. Be hard to deny him at this point. Hard to look at the walking dead and excuse that as a parlor trick. And look, not only was Lazarus raised from the dead, but he went on to live a whole life. And he died again one day. That must have been weird, right? He's like, I got this. I've done this before. (laughs) But even still, some rejected Christ. Jesus' enemies would soon plot to kill Lazarus. They they wanted to wipe out the evidence of Jesus' deity. I'm not sure how you can look at this and, and not accept Jesus, but some did, and they ran and told the chief priests and the Pharisees who were once again threatened by Jesus. The religious elite said, Jesus is doing things outside of what we think he should do. And they began even more seriously to try to kill him. So where are we in this story? Well, we can be like the disciples, right? We want to follow Jesus, but we also want to remain comfortable, and we also want to avoid danger and risk, and we might try and talk Jesus out of going there because it's, I don't want to go there, Jesus, it's dangerous there. We can be like Mary and Martha and expect Jesus to come because we have real uh, skin in the game, and there's emotion, and there's passion uh, all wrapped up into what's going on in our lives, and we can try to tell God when to do things. I believe that Jesus is powerful and at work, but I also have feelings of disappointment and doubt, scared that Jesus might not do what I want him to do. And many times that that is what happens. But the clearest picture of us in this story is the picture of Lazarus. Lazarus was without hope, dead. And at a moment gasping for life, but then completely unable to find it. And his heart stopped. Lazarus was locked in a tomb under the power of death itself. And that is our spiritual state without Jesus Christ. Ephesians 2 says, As for you, you were dead in your trespasses and sins. But because of his great love for us, 
God, who is rich in mercy, made us alive with Christ even when we were dead in our transgressions. It is by grace that you have been saved. I've heard it said this way before, that Jesus didn't come to make bad people good. He came to bring dead people new life. Jesus is the resurrection and the life. Jesus solved this problem of death, and he didn't come to teach us about the solution. He didn't come to condemn us. He submitted himself as the solution, and he said, I am the resurrection and the life. Jesus is the personification and the epitome of the word resurrection. It is who he is. He says, I am the resurrection and the life. And that's great because we are spiritually dead. And without Christ, you might think that you've got your life all together and you check all those boxes of what it looks like to be a good person. But without Christ, you are dead in the grave this morning. Death was not in God's grand design before the choices of man brought sin into the world. But Jesus is working to make all that new. And he shows us that he can do that by defeating death for someone else. And soon, not long after this, Jesus was going to defeat death for himself. He is the resurrection and the life. And he defeats death for us as well. You and I were once without hope spiritually dead, destined for decay. We were bound with the chains of sin and death. But Jesus, through his own death and resurrection, raised us back to life. And not just for his second coming, although that's amazing, but raised us to walk in newness of life even now. Abundance and fullness in fellowship with him. Jesus is our resurrection in life. No one comes to the Father except through him. So come out and live in this life that Jesus provides. Let's bow our heads and close our eyes. Today might be one of those times where you think that Jesus is late. I've got those situations in my life as well. And it's not just like a little late, it's like years late for what I want him to do. There might be something in your life that looks like it's dead. You might care about something that looks like it's gone forever. And I can't promise you that this is going to happen for you, that Jesus is going to turn it around, but I can promise you that you are not alone. And that he is with you. And that you can trust him with your life this morning. And you can follow him. And he can bring something new and bring something dead inside of you back to life. Just remember that even when it looks like Jesus is four days late and it looks like all hope is gone. That his ways are higher than our ways. And even when it looks like he's late. That he is still on time. As we continue in this attitude of prayer, maybe there's a situation in your life where you've given up. 
and it looks like there's no hope. Well, if you're not dead, God's not done with you. If the situation can be fixed, there is always hope that God can do it. I don't know what his will is. I don't know if this is his plan to work out for you. I do know that we live in a world that's full of hurt and pain and evil. And right now, that's how it is. But one day, it will all be new. There is disappointment. And there is death. And there are evil things that happen in this world. But the one that made you one that formed and fashioned you. The one that controls every pump of your heart, all of the synapses in your brain firing. The one that gives you this moment we're in right now wants to have a relationship with you. He wants you to know that you have a purpose. He wants you to know that you have worth and value. You're not an accident. You're not a mistake. You're not too far gone. Pastor Phil, you don't understand what I've done. doesn't matter. Jesus' death is bigger than all of it. His resurrection broke all of the chains of sin and death. And there is nothing that you could do to make God love you any less. And nothing do to make him love you anymore. God is love. You can call out today. If you haven't yet started a relationship with him. See, there's a problem we all have, and that problem is sin, and we've talked about it. It's broken everything, and we're part of, the solu- uh, part of that problem, and Jesus is the solution. got a problem that keeps us from a holy God. But God himself stepped out of heaven 2,000 years ago and he walked this earth and he lived a perfect and a holy life so that an innocent person could die for all of us guilty people. And he laid down his life on a cross in my place, in your place. And then he rose again on the third day, bringing our salvation with him paying all of the cost of our sin debt. The Bible says there's no way you can work for it. There's no way you can do enough good or walk enough old ladies across the street. Jesus outstretches his hand. God outstretches his hand today with this gift of salvation. Putting your faith and trust in Jesus and what he did for you. All you have to do is accept it. The Bible says, Whosoever shall call upon the name of the Lord shall be saved. You can call out right now. It's not a magic prayer. It's not a pledge of allegiance. Words don't matter. You can call out to him with something like this, though. Dear Jesus, I know I'm a sinner. 
And I know because of my sin that I deserve hell. God, forgive me. I'm turning from all that and I'm turning to you. I put my faith in what you did on the cross to save me. Thank you, Lord, for saving me. If that's you today and you made that choice once and for all, I'd love for you to write that on your connection card. I chose Jesus. Put that in the uh, black boxes back here and halfway through the sanctuary because I want to I be able to have a conversation with you about that because that's the most amazing thing in the world, to put your faith and trust, uh, trust in Jesus Christ. To be made a new creature brought back to life. Not just in the next life, but now. He wants to change your life now. Dear Jesus, we love you. God, thank you for the hope that we don't have to fear because you have the power over sin and death. I know the one that holds the future I know the one that's going to be there in the next life. God, thank you for that. Thank you for that comfort. I pray for anyone that has a situation in their life that feels dead, that feels hopeless, God, to put their faith in, and hope in you, to comfort them. Lord, if it's not in your will or in your plan, and I pray that you draw near to them. And if it be your will, God, I pray you do something Amazing. God, we love you. We thank you for this example that Jesus gave us. How much he loved people and had compassion on them. In your name we pray. Amen. Let's stand and sing.